Philippians chapter 1 by now. If you do not have a Bible, uh, the passage will be on the screen. Please follow along as I read. I'm reading from the uh, King James Version this morning. This is what the Bible says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. I'll stop there at verse 10. title of the message this morning is The Christ-Centered Church. The Christ-Centered Church. And if you'd like to track along with the message this morning, you can listen for these six things. Getting your own word. Sleeping during the message. An open book quiz, coming again, ten times, and a lighthouse and a greenhouse. Getting your own word, sleeping during the message, an open book quiz, coming again, ten times, and a lighthouse and a greenhouse. Let's bow our heads. Lord, as I bow to pray, I can't help but think of those who have been praying for us throughout the week and even this morning. They've been praying about this time right here. That you will speak to your people from your word. That I'll be able to clearly communicate uh, to your people what you have to say to us about a Christ-centered church. So I pray that your spirit would move among us this morning. Oh God, please. 
fill every crevice of the room and have your way this morning in us. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we dive into the text, there is some background you need to know that may help you understand who Paul is writing to and why he is writing this letter. The city of Corinth was a hub of commerce. Its people were ethnically diverse. They were wealthy. They were self-centered. They were known for drunkenness and all things depraved. The Corinthians had a reputation for materialism and an anything-goes philosophy of sex. As a matter of fact, if a girl was uh, referred to as a Corinthian girl, she was essentially being called a prostitute. It was so bad that uh, the Corinthians earned their own word. The Greek word Corinthiatsomai, which means to act like a Corinthian. When someone said that about you, they were calling you morally depraved referring to sexual sin in you. It was during his second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul arrived in the city of Corinth. That visit is documented in Acts chapter 18. If you'd like to turn there, Acts chapter 18. Verse 1 says this, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. I'm going to skip down to verse 5. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Paul felt pressed in his spirit. He had to preach. And his message was a simple one. Jesus is the Christ. And the Bible says the people responded. The second half of verse 8 in Acts 18 says this. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed. And they were baptized. And the church at Corinth was born on that day. But instead of being a church that influenced the culture, the Corinthians, the Christian Corinthians allowed the culture to influence the church. And so Paul writes this letter to address some issues, some serious issues within the church. Issues like disunity and disagreement, sexual immorality, taking one another to court. Feelings of superiority over others and the abuse of spiritual gifts. And as he wrote, he also addressed issues of relevance like marriage, divorce and remarriage, Christian liberty, proper etiquette in worship, 
and the Lord's Supper. All of these issues were dividing the church. And so with that background, let's begin verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. It's important for Paul to start out this way. It's important for him to establish his authority before addressing the issues in the church. So he defends his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Paul did not earn the right to be an apostle. In God's sovereign will, he called Paul to be an apostle. It is all God's doing, and Paul makes that clear here in verse 1. And here's why. There are people who are opposed to Paul in the church. If you continue reading... In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, you will find that, that there is a group of people in the church who prefer to follow Peter. I like Peter. I follow Peter. They didn't care for Paul. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Peter even walked on water. No one could question Peter's credentials. Others in uh, the church, like a former pastor named Apollos. Apollos was a powerful preacher. The Bible describes Apollos as eloquent in speech. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul put people to sleep when he preached. If anyone falls asleep this morning, I'm in good company. <laughs> no one fell asleep when Apollos preached. I follow Apollos, that group would say. So Paul starts his letter to the Corinthian church by defending his authority to write and address their sin issues. He then mentions a man named Sosthenes. And back in Acts chapter 18, when Paul was planting the church at Corinth, a man named Sosthenes was the chief ruler of the Jewish synagogue there. That was about 51 or so A.D. Five years later, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And a man named Sosthenes is with him. We can't know for sure. The name Sosthenes was not an uncommon name then. But most commentators believe they are one and the same person. So think about this. Paul was a man who once opposed and persecuted the church. He was miraculously saved by God. Sosthenes was a man who once was the chief ruler of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth. And in that role, he opposed and even persecuted Paul. 
for preaching the gospel. And yet here in the first verse of his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul refers to Sosthenes as a brother. Mercifully saved by God. And now probably serving as Paul's secretary, writing down what Paul dictated to him to be in the letter. Look at verse 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church at Corinth is the church of God. It's not the church of man. It's not the church of Paul or Peter or Apollos or any other preacher or person. It is the church of God. As is Grace Community Church. Continuing in verse 2. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, despite their sin issues, Paul refers to them as sanctified. This letter is being written to those who are set apart as holy, set apart for God's possession and his use. That's what sanctified means. And just as Paul was called to be an apostle, so the Corinthian Christians were called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Those two little words, to be, they are inserted by the translators. It should actually read called saints. They were saints by calling. The word saints does not refer to their behavior. It refers to their designation. When God called them out of the world and saved them, he called them saints. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that is you, then you too have the designation of being called a saint. You do not stand alone. You are united with other believers who call upon the name of the same Lord. This is Paul's first clear call to unity to the church. Verse 3, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's common salutation in his writings. Grace and peace to you. May God's favor be upon you. May you have peace, grace, always first. Then peace. You cannot have true peace without first experiencing God's grace. Both flow from the same source, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 4 with me. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Open book quiz. You've got it in front of you. Got it in front of you. What is Paul thanking God for on behalf of the Corinthians? I thank my God always on your behalf for what? The grace of God. 
the grace of God. Verse 3 says, grace and peace to you. Verse 4 says, you already have the grace. Because every blessing you have in Christ is a grace of God. What the Corinthians need here is for the grace they already have to translate into the peace they so desperately need. Peace is what Paul wants for the church here. Peace is necessary to overcome the divisions within the church. That in everything, verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. At the moment we become recipients of God's grace, we become rich. Not by a deposit of money, but by a deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit of God comes to reside in me at the moment of salvation. And with the Spirit comes everything I need, everything you need to faithfully live out the Christian life. You are rich in Christ. That word utterance in the Greek is the word logos. You're familiar with that term logos if you're from Grace Community Church. The word logos is often translated word. Paul says you are rich in all word. And rich in all knowledge. He's specifically referring to spiritual gifts. The speaking gifts, tongues and prophecy. The knowledge gifts, discernment and interpretation. And he continues in verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God gave effect to the gospel in the Corinthian church. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. The object and author of the testimony is Jesus Christ. God securely planted his word there. And that the gifts of the Holy Spirit in verse 5 were present in the church bears testimony to the effectiveness of Paul's message about Christ. All of the spiritual gifts are present at the church in Corinth. That's what verse 7 is saying. So that you come behind in no gift. God has blessed the Corinthian church with every spiritual gift. Because they're part of the body of Christ that they've been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are rich in these gifts. But spiritual gifts are not to be abused as the Corinthians have been doing. Instead, they're to be used for the good of all the church. The problem here is the people desired to have the gifts that were considered more important or more prestigious. That's an issue in the church. People in the church wanted a gift that made them appear more important to others. 
Verse 7 says it's their responsibility to serve using the gifts that God has given them. For how long? Until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Don't miss that grace. Don't miss it. Jesus is coming again. His return is closer today than it was yesterday. Keep looking for it. Verse 8. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word confirm is a guarantee. It's a guarantee to the Corinthian believers that they'll be in God's presence at Christ's return. You are confirmed. You are secure to the end. Now is our day to work. Now is our day to remain faithful. Now is our day to use our gifts for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. And in the end, we will stand blameless at Christ's return. I love that word blameless. It means chargeless. Chargeless. You're not merely acquitted. You're not simply found not guilty. Instead, it's the absence of even a charge or accusation against you. The Christian is guaranteed to stand blameless before the Lord in the day of Christ. Praise the Lord. How do we know this? How can we count on this? Because verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not doubt God. He is faithful. He can be fully trusted. Because he's faithful... You can count on God's grace given to you, verse 4. You can count on God's riches in Christ to you, verse 5. You can count on Jesus' testimony confirmed in you, verse 6. You can count on Jesus' return for you, verse 7. You can count on God's promise to you and God's promise about you. You will be found blameless. On the day of Christ, verse 8. Let me talk about that word fellowship in verse 9 for just a moment. We all have a share in Christ. And because of that, we all have a share in one another. You hear that? That's what the fellowship of his son means. We have a share in one another. And this is the springboard that Paul uses to argue for unity in the church. Starting at verse 10, which says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind 
and in the same judgment. I plead with you, Paul writes. Please hear me. Speak the same things, Christians. End your divisions. Be perfectly joined together. This will result in unity if we do this. Ten verses. Something stand out to you in these ten verses. If you have your Bible, look down. Anything stand out to you? You don't have to answer out loud. Just kind of look at it. Is something repetitive here? Constantly mentioned over and over and over. Paul is bringing the reader's focus to one thing. In his introduction, over and over again, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, sanctified in Christ Jesus Verse 2, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 3, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, the testimony of Christ. Keep looking. Verse 7, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think Paul's trying to get their attention on one thing? As I write to you, Corinthian believers, as I desire unity for you, you need to look at Jesus. He is your focus. You want to be a Christ-centered church. There's where your unity will be found. In Christ, Jesus, 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 Christ, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Ten times. Ten times in ten verses. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ten times. He's pointing the Corinthian church to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, Corinthians, your focus must be on Christ. Put your eyes on Jesus, not on personalities. Put your eyes on Jesus, not on silly disagreements. Put your eyes on Jesus and do the work of the ministry. We are a Christ-centered church at grace. Jesus Christ is our foundation. He is the foundation of the universal church. He is the foundation of this church. When you walk into this sanctuary on Sunday mornings, it is Jesus Christ who will be proclaimed. We preach Jesus crucified, risen, and coming again. Every ministry of this church must be Christ-centered. Our men's ministry our women's ministry, our children's ministry, our worship ministry, our life group ministry, 
every ministry must point people to Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, we need to either revamp it or get rid of it. Because it's all about Jesus. When it's all about Christ, when your eyes are on him, unity happens. When your goal is about reaching the world for Christ, unity happens. Forget the small stuff. Forget the disagreements. There's one thing that's most important, and that is Jesus. Paul is pointing to the one who must be our focus in the church. Our lives must be lived to the glory of Christ, reflecting our faith in Christ. Years ago, I was invited to speak at a church, and on the bulletin under the name of the church was this description, a lighthouse for the lost and a greenhouse for the Christian. I like that. That's what a Christ-centered church is. It's a place where people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord where the testimony of Christ is confirmed in their hearts. It's a place where the Christian can grow in Christ. A place where the Christian is trained to do the work of the ministry. A place where you can use your gifts to serve others and encourage others. This is the place to use your gift. Christian, serve him here. The Christ-centered church the place where unity happens, the place where forgiveness happens, the place where forbearance happens, the place where we rejoice with those who rejoice, and yes, the place where we weep with those who weep. If you do not know this Jesus, I would love to talk to you after the service. Please. Please see me today. We would schedule a time to meet. But I would love to talk to you about Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. And I'm so thankful for how Paul directed the Corinthian believers' attention to Jesus. God, may we do the same. May everyone who enters the doors of our church be pointed to Jesus. And then as we leave, may we live lives that focus others on Jesus because they see him living in us. Thank you for the morning. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.